0: Good morning again. Welcome to Carolina Family Church. For those of you that weren't in here when we first got started, rolling in just a little late. I was, I was a little late waking up this morning, too, so no judgment at all. Glad you're here. And my name is John. I'm the pastor here, and we're continuing a series called The Holy Spirit, which sounds simple, But it's not. And so we're learning about the Holy Spirit and what He means to us. And I'm very intentional by saying He, because sometimes people think that the Holy Spirit is an it, like He's a cloud or a dove, or a bird, or something. He's not, okay? He is a person. He is a full member of the Trinity, and he is with us as believers, and so if we're going to live the kind of life that God wants us to live, it is imperative that we get to know him as well as we possibly can, and engage him as much as we possibly can. So that's what we're doing in the series, is getting to know him better and better. The first week, we talked about how he is the seal of God, that he gives us the confidence, his presence in our life gives us the confidence to know that we're saved, and that we can cry out, Abba, Father, And then we know we have a relationship with God. We're a child of His. And then last week, we talked about how to be filled with the Spirit, filled to the fullest extent, last week in our series. And today, I want to talk to you about the power that the Holy Spirit brings to our life. Now, Jesus promised this to His disciples before He left. He spent a lot of time in His last days preparing His disciples for when the Spirit was going to come. And He kept telling them, listen, I got to go but the Spirit's going to come, and he's going to be better. And they had a hard time swallowing that at the time because they couldn't imagine Jesus not being there with them. But they soon learned that what he said was true. And right before, so he dies on the cross, he rises again, back to life. He's around for about 40 days, and then he ascends to heaven. And right before he ascends to heaven, he tells his disciples this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my you'll be my witnesses everywhere okay he says you will receive power when the holy spirit comes on you and so we believe that any of us that have put our faith in Jesus Christ have become a child of God and the holy spirit has come to us like remember our analogy last week that of a water in a house the waters in the pipes right God turns on the water main, the water's in the pipes. We got to open up the spigot. We got to open up the faucet in order to be to be full of him each and every day. But he's there. He fills he gives us the Holy Spirit and now we have all of the, we have the power of God at in our life. All right? It's in some level at our disposal. And I was thinking this week, I'm like, "Man, okay. So if I have the power of God in me, that kind of makes me a superhero." Right? I mean, if I, have, if I have supernatural power, doesn't that kind of make me a superhero? And I, my mind, st- <laughs> Brenda's like, no, no. <laughs> my mind started wandering, and I thought, oh, man, if I could pick my own superpower, what would it be? I had to think long and hard about this. I even asked the kids, like, because they have, they have great imaginations, you know, what would your superpowers be? They didn't have any good ones. So I kept thinking about what I thought the greatest superpowers would be, I came up with a few. These are my superhero alter egos. Just so you know, if I could pick any three superpowers, this would be them. The first one, you ready? Is Traffic Jam Man. <laughs> traffic Jam Man has the power to sense a traffic jam one exit before it happens. Yes. Okay? <laughs> right? If you've driven on 85 recently, <laughs> or even <laughs> Jimmy's gonna be my sidekick, that would be awesome. I would love that. All right, that's traffic jam, man. The second one, you'll know this is near and dear to my heart. This is chicken wing man. Now, chicken wing man is impervious to both the calories and the heat of any chicken wing on the planet. All right. Jimmy, you're probably going to be with me on this next one, too, all right? The last one, the, the greatest superpower you could have, wife mind reader man. Wife mind reader man has the power to know what his wife is actually thinking. Well, this is the thing. I know. John and I were talking about this before the service. He needs the power to turn it on and off. Right? (laughs) Because there's sometimes you just don't want to know. And there's sometimes you need to. I was telling my son JD about this superhero, and um, I was telling Jess about it too, and she's like, "You don't need to know what I'm thinking all the time." And she's, she said, "I always tell the truth." And JD goes, "Like when you say, I don't, "I don't care?" "It's fine. Yeah, he said something smarter than what I just said, but it was like, you mean when he said, "Mama, like when you say it's okay?" We all know it's not, <laughs> you know the ability. I was thinking when I ask her where she wants to go to eat, and she says, "I don't care." But then I give eight different options, and she says no to all of them. I'm like, just tell me where you want to go, for goodness sakes. I want to make you happy. So wife, mind reader, man could sort through that situation all on his own. So I thought that would be pretty cool. But I think we all know that's not how the Holy Spirit works, and it's not the way that he empowers us. In fact, we don't get to pick the power that we receive from the Holy Spirit. We're going to learn that today. And, but we do receive power from him. And he gives us this in the form of gifts. Now, we use the term in church, we use the term spiritual gifts. And I think that term just kind of gets thrown around like it's its own thing. But that term isn't even really a thing in the, in the scripture. You realize that that, that that term comes from two Greek words, uh, pneumatikos, which means spirit or the spiritual, and, um, and charisma, which means gifts. And there's actually only a couple times in the Bible they actually show up together. It's, just, it's an English word that we've used to try to describe what's going on. And it's this, that the Holy Spirit gives us power at certain times or for certain periods or even for our whole lifetime in certain areas for certain tasks. It is the empowerment of the Spirit in our life to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. And now you have to imagine... In the early church, right after Jesus ascends and goes back to heaven, they receive the Holy Spirit and they start experiencing this power. People are getting healed. They're they're, They're miraculously speaking in other languages. I mean, amazing, miraculous, just crazy things are happening. And the people who are experiencing this, in many cases, have no idea how to handle it. They have. I mean, this is totally new to them. It's like like if you woke up tomorrow and you had super strength all of a sudden. You would have to figure out how to use that in the right way and when to use it and when not to use it and what the right purpose is and all of that. And so they receive the power of the Holy Spirit and it takes them time to figure out how is this supposed to happen? What are we supposed to do with this? What's it supposed to accomplish? And so a lot of them handle it really, really well. But we're going to read about a church in a city called Corinth where they didn't handle it well. And they misused the power that God had given to them, and it caused all kinds of chaos in their church. And, and so Paul writes to them, the Apostle Paul writes to them, and he has to explain to them how you use this and what's the point of the Spirit in your life. And to understand the city of Corinth, it's a very uh, multicultural city. It's it was a very rich city, um, Greek history, and, and so there were lots of different people, with lots of different ideas there, and, They came into a lot of problems, and we see that in the book of 1 Corinthians, the first letter that Paul writes to them. Because, he, first of all, he says something nice at the beginning, because that's what he always does, um, because he has to. He's he's forming the sandwich, you know what I mean? So he puts the nice piece of bread on the top with the, hey, I love you guys, and then he immediately gets to the problems in their church, which there are a ton of. So they're arguing about who is the greatest teacher. And it's this spiritual one-upsmanship that's happening in their church. They're saying, well, I follow Paul. And another person's like, well, I follow Apollos. And then another person's like, well, I follow Jesus. That's, by the way, that's what we call a Jesus juke. If you didn't know that, Jesus is when someone one-ups you with Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? Like if you're sitting down, this is the first example I can find in Scripture of a Jesus juke. Like you're sitting with a group of people, and you're like, if you could have lunch with one person in history, would it be? Just one person in history. You can have lunch with any one person in history, and the first person's like, you know, I think I'd want to have lunch with Rosa Parks. That'd be amazing. I would just love to hear what she did, why she did it, what her life was like after the whole the bus thing, and all that. I want to know. I, I would love to have lunch with Rosa Parks. And then another person's like, I would love to have lunch with Abraham Lincoln. You know, just to know, I mean, the, the influence that he had over an entire nation and the Civil War and all this stuff, I would love to know. I would love to sit down and talk to Abraham Lincoln. Another person's like, I would love to have lunch with Mother Teresa. I mean, all the good that she did for people and the love she showed and how she served the people and gave up of herself, it's incredible. And I would love to have lunch with her. And it gets around to the last person, they say, yeah, I'd love to have lunch with Jesus. And everybody else at the table is like, oh. Like We all assumed Jesus was first. We all knew Jesus was the obvious answer. We thought we were supposed to go to the second answer. That's called a Jesus jerk when someone does that. So they're doing that in this town. One's saying, I follow Paul, and I follow Apollos, and another's like, I follow Jesus. And so they've got this problem of spiritual superiority, and it's creating division within the church. They've got all kinds of other problems, too. They've got sexual immorality in their church. Paul's like, this stuff is ridiculous what you're allowing to go on in your church. I mean, this wouldn't even be acceptable to people outside of the church, let alone those that are inside the church. They're arguing with each other. They have lawsuits against each other in public court. He's like, you just shouldn't be doing that. You need to at least settle your disputes internally and... All, I mean, they're, they're, they're allowing idolatry to sneak its way into the church, allowing paganism to sneak its way into the church. I mean, they have all these problems and their services are a wreck and they're chaos. And every time they get together, it's causing issues in their church. And then nestled snugly within that context, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul addresses the issue of spiritual gifts and how they use them. Because it's it shows why they're having such a big problem with all of these other things that are happening in their church. And so we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is the classic verse on, or passages on uh, spiritual gifts. It's the most that's said about spiritual gifts in all of the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 1. All right, give you a second to get there if you're turning in your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's. Um, If I can pick this up properly. I always have to remember to turn it around. It's there if you're looking for it. All right. If you're looking in your Bible, it's there. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, and I'll point out, I told you it was those two words, nematicos and, um, uh, and charisma. And right here, it actually it says spiritual gifts in, in our English translations. It's really just the word nematicos. So really what he's saying is concerning spiritual things. All right, concerning spiritual things, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed, because they were uninformed, because they've received something they didn't understand, because they're, they're, they're misusing what they've been given. I want you to be informed. You know uh, that you were, when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. I think it's a little bit of a sarcastic dig. He's <laughs> like, you know that before you were Christians, you worshipped like rocks and things, and you were led by them. Don't know how, but nevertheless, you were led by mute idols. All right? Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And if you remember our conversation last week, if you were here, um, we talked about the purpose of the Holy Spirit, and the purpose that the Holy Spirit serves is to bring glory to Jesus Christ. That's his job. And so Jesus told us that was his job, and he proves that's his job. He's Exists, or he's here to bring glory to Jesus Christ, and He wants us to do the same. And so that's the first thing I want to point out about spiritual gifts. And if you want to take some notes, I've got a few phrases you could jot down to, just to be helpful. Um, but the first thing is that spiritual gifts are given for the glory of Jesus. No one can say Jesus is the Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Spiritual gifts are given for the glory of Jesus. Spiritual gifts are not given for the glory of people. And the problem is that our natural reaction, because of our sin that's within us, our natural reaction is to use this newfound power for personal gain. If not for financial gain, for fame or for, for recognition, or for people to look at us and say, Oh, look how look how spiritual Dylan is. Look at the gifts that Dylan has. It's amazing, you know? He's incredible. Just look at him. So everybody look at him for a minute. It's gonna make him really uncomfortable. <laughs> He's incredible. Oh, look at Dylan. Look at the gifts that he has. That is not the purpose of the gifts. And one of the greatest pitfalls and the Corinthians were falling into this head over heels is that they were using the gifts that they were given to draw attention to themselves. And because of that, it was creating chaos in their services. And Paul, Paul addresses that later in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Because they're using the gift of tongues or speaking in other language. And they're using that in their services. And because they're speaking on top of each other and they're elbowing each other to see who can be the next one to speak. or He says, no, no, you guys got to stop that. You got to bring some order to this. And the problem is that they were trying to use it for their own personal edification. And it, spiritual gifts are given for the glory of Jesus. That's the purpose. All right, next. Let's keep reading. Verse 4. He says, Now there are a variety of gifts... But the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So, God is everything that we may do in the power of the Spirit is all coming, that's the power of God. And He says this, this is key, verse 7 To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. For the common good. The Spirit does not give you gifts for you. The Spirit gives you gifts so that you can serve the common good. It's supposed to be used for others, for their benefit. So spiritual gifts are intended for the common good. That would be your next point. Spiritual gifts are intended for the common good. And, And this makes sense. It makes sense because... When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment is, he did not say, love yourself with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. He said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And the second commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So if the Holy Spirit is empowering us, he's empowering us to do the same thing, which is to bring glory to Jesus and to serve other people, to serve the common good. It makes perfect sense. You are not given the gifts of the Spirit so that you can have just a personal spiritual experience. You are given the gifts of the Spirit to use them for the common good. So it's as if when God gives, you know, we, I guess we take, I feel like, at least in the circles that I run in, we take these ideas of the, the spiritual gifts or being filled with the Spirit or whatever, and we try to we turn it into this really mystical and weird thing, and it's really a very practical and purposeful thing. The Spirit gives you a hammer so that you can drive a nail at your neighbor's house. He doesn't give you a hit of acid so you can trip out in your own living room by yourself. He gives you tools to use for the good of other people. Paul's trying to be really clear with them about this. All right. And when I see people that are using the Spirit for their own personal gain or just for their own personal you know, emotional experience or whatever it may be, I look at it and just say, I don't know what's going on, but I know that's not what the Spirit is doing the Spirit's goal is to glorify Jesus and to use us to serve the common good, to serve our neighbor as ourselves. And what he does is he gives us these gifts, and then we have to use them for the common good instead of sitting on them, instead of wasting them. I was thinking about this um, because my son, J.D., just turned 10. I can't believe it. he's 10 years old. He's a preteen, in his own words. He wanted to be a teenager. I told him that didn't count. And but he's 10. And uh, recently we were spending some time at a friend's house and they had a, a bonus room with this drawing desk. And J.D. spent hours up at this desk with a little lamp on. He was drawing his he, he did the most amazing little drawings. and He made his own comic book. It was, it was quite good, actually. I was I was almost a little shocked at how good it was and um, clever and all that. And so we decided that for his birthday, we wanted to give him a drawing desk. Like a, you know, kind of tilts up in the back and has a lamp that clips on it so he could have one in his room. Because I want him to develop this gift because I think, you know, I think he's got the personality and the, the giftedness to be like an architect or, a, you know, engineer or something one day. He's just wired that way. And so I want him to, to be able to develop this whole gift. He actually, he, if you ask him, he wants to be a Lego designer which I think is awesome, but I also think it's kind of a kid's version of what an architect does. <laughs> you know, so, you know, we just, we know what we know, right? And uh, so we decided we were going to get him this desk, and we actually bought the desk, and it was in transit being delivered, and he came to me one night, and he said, hey, Dad, I, I know we're not supposed to ask, like, unless you ask us what we want for our birthday, we're not supposed to just ask. He said, but I, I drew a picture of what I want, and he handed it to me, and it was a desk. And I was like, oh, Yes! <laughs> you know, we should work that way with Santa, you know, <laughs> but it doesn't. So, um, but anyway, so the thing about the desk is it's, it's, we're moving. So it's in our garage. I didn't assemble it yet. But when I do assemble it finally, and he has it in his room, I didn't buy that desk for him so that it could accumulate stuff. You know, I didn't, I didn't buy that desk for him so he would have a place to put his backpack. I didn't buy it for him so that he would have a place to put his alarm clock. I didn't buy it for him for any of those reasons. I bought it for him so that he will draw on it. Because I believe that by drawing on it and by honing and crafting that skill, it is going to move him towards what he's going to ultimately do in the future. And, and our goal for our kids is that what they ultimately do in the future, whatever it is, they can pick whatever they want. It just has to help serve people. That's what I care about. And so I believe that what he's doing, this these gift that I'm giving him now is leading him on the path that he's going to use for the common good. And if he continues to hone his gift of drawing or drafting, well, then we might get him a nicer desk one day. We might get him better pencils, and we might get him bigger paper, and we might get him a new protractor and all of these things. And I was thinking about what we're doing with him, and I thought that's exactly what God does with us. He gives us gifts so that we can use them for other people. And he wants us to hone them and to craft them and to get better and use them as effectively as we possibly can. And as we prove ourselves faithful with those gifts that he gives us, he gives us more to use. All right, And we become more and more effective as time goes on. But it's not so that we can, just, it's not so that we can sit on them and waste them. And it's not so that we can use them for our own glory. It's so that we can use them for the glory of God and for the common good. All right, let's keep reading verse 8. In verse 8 he says, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. And this is the key, verse 11 is the key. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each individually as He wills. He apportions to each individually as He wills. He knows what you need in order to accomplish what He needs you to accomplish. And He is going to gift you with exactly what you need in order to accomplish what he wants you to accomplish, no more and no less. And so as I'm thinking about gifts, this brings it out to a broader thing, that spiritual gifts are strategically diverse. Spiritual gifts are strategically diverse. See, what he does right after this, he says that God gives to each one of you, and each of you in the room and me included, he gives us gifts specifically, individually, as he wills for the purpose that he has in our life. And then he immediately, Paul immediately goes into an analogy of a body. You might be familiar with that, and I'm not going to read it. Let me just summarize. He says, he says you guys are a body, speaking to the Corinthian church, who are, who are experiencing all this division, right? All these, all these controversy and all these problems. He said, you're a body, and you're supposed to work together. And every single one of you has a different role to play in the body. One of you is a finger, and one of you is a hip, and one of you is a toe, and one of you is an ear. And the the finger can't say to the hip, I don't need you. And the toe can't say to the ear, I don't need you. The hand can't say to the stomach, I don't need you. Because the stomach has to digest the hamburger. And the stomach needs the hand to hold the hamburger. Right? We need each other. He's saying you guys need each other and you're all different for a purpose and you need to embrace the differences that you have because God has put you together on purpose. And so not only are our gifts supposed to bring glory to Jesus and not only are they supposed to be used for the common good, they're supposed to be used within the context of a church working together. Which is why if we're off on our own without a church body, without people to work with, what good is a disembodied hand laying by the side of the road? It's not. We have to take, God gives us the gifts he gives us to be used within this body and he's placed all of the pieces within this body that are needed here to accomplish his will for us. And, and I just, man, that, that hit me so hard this week as I was thinking about it. Because even as a pastor, and sometimes I feel like, not, not because of anything you guys do, but sometimes I just have this internal feeling like I have to be all the parts of the body. You know, like I look at our church and I'm like, oh, we really need this. But and I'm like, oh, I got to do that. But I don't have time to do that because I don't have time to be the hand because I'm being the being the I don't know, backside. Maybe I don't know what side I'm doing, but I'm, I'm, I'm some part and I can't be that other thing. And I feel a little low level sense of guilt for that. But it just gave a sense of peace and calm this week as I was reading the scripture. And I just remembered again. No, God has all of us together. And, and so, I, I want you to be thinking about what your role in this body is and to make sure that you know what your giftedness is and how you're supposed to serve and to know that you're doing that because if you're not, the whole body suffers as a result. And so, if you look at, our bo- at the body of uh, this church and you say, Man, this church really needs an elbow, it doesn't have an elbow and it needs an elbow. Well, you might be the elbow. And if you aren't the elbow, nobody else will be. God, our gifts are strategically diverse, and he's bringing us together so that we can accomplish something together. He gives this whole analogy of the body. And then he says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, still in chapter 12, verse 27. Now you're the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed In the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Well, those are rhetorical questions, right? The answer is no. We all have various gifts, strategically diverse for a specific purpose together. But then he says this, and this is so interesting but earnestly desire the higher gifts. What does he mean? Higher gifts. Some gifts better than other gifts? Well, I don't think so. He's saying we're all diverse and we all got our part to play. can't be that one gift is better than another. Well, what does he mean, earnestly desire the higher gifts? I think he's, he's setting the stage. He's already started setting the stage, and he's starting to drive this home, and he will over the next couple chapters, that some gifts are more effective at accomplishing the mission than other ones. And our goal, our desire, should be to be as effective as we can possibly be. So it's okay to desire the more effective gifts. I mean, I, I know that it doesn't sound very PC, I suppose, but as I think about it, there are definitely people through history that have been gifted to bring more glory to God or more, more attention to Christ than I have. I'm willing to admit that. And there are definitely have been people in history that have been gifted to do more for the common good than I'm able to do. They've just received giftedness that are, that are more effective. And it's okay for us to desire the more effective gifts, understanding that the Spirit apportions to them individually as He wills. So we don't get to choose what gifts we have, and we don't get to force God's hand. It's like um, it's like a musician. You're either gifted as a musician or you're not. You know what I mean? Like I can... And, it's sometimes by practicing, you can discover your giftedness, right? But you either have it or you don't. Uh, like I was thinking about drummers because um, was, we, got, we had Ronnie and, uh, and Alex both drumming for us today. And I was thinking about drummers today. Um, the thing is I could, you could put someone behind a set of drums and show them what to hit and when to hit it. But you can't teach rhythm, Right? You can't teach rhythm. You've either got it or you don't. It's a gift. And so the Spirit decides what gifts we get, and then we have to figure out how to identify them and how to develop them. And as we're faithful with those, God gives us other gifts, and it's okay for us to desire those more effective gifts, okay? so But he's doing all of this. He's explaining all this to them in the context of their chaos. And then he says this. this is, we use this scripture. We don't often use it in the context that it's actually in. He's talking to them through and all their divisiveness and all their problems, and he says this, last verse of chapter 12, and then we're going to dive right into 13. And I'll show you a still more excellent way. After all that talk about gifts, he said, I'll show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongue of tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Remember, he's talking to a church that's in chaos, arguing with each other, fighting with each other, trying to spiritually one-up each other, and using these gifts in a way that isn't correct, isn't proper. He's a Love is patient and kind, which they're not being. Love does not envy or boast, which they're doing. It's not arrogant or rude, which they are. It does not insist on its own way, which they're doing. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. And what he's telling them is you've got all this power available to you, but you're using it to create envy and deceit and deception and arrogance, and you're using it, and it's creating all of this, and what you should be using it for is love. To draw glory and attention to Jesus Christ, to use it for the common good. He said that is not what you've been doing. You've been using it selfishly for selfish motives. And then he goes into chapter 14, which is a highly controversial chapter in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 14, where it talks about how they're using the gift of tongues. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar with that gift, it is speaking in other languages. Now, we see really clearly in Acts chapter, or in Acts, when the um, the day of Pentecost comes and they receive the Holy Spirit. They instantly have the supernatural ability to speak in foreign languages and proclaim the gospel to people who speak other languages. It's incredible and it's miraculous. And so some look at the gift of tongues as uh, speaking in other human foreign languages. Some look at it as speaking in a heavenly language, either publicly and being interpreted or privately. And there are, there are some also who believe that the gift of tongues is no longer needed and that it has ceased and it's not active today. And it's a highly controversial thing. And I know some of you are wanting me to talk about it, but I'm not going to. (laughs) And I have an opinion on it. I have an opinion on it, but I'm not going to talk about it. And let me tell you why. Because I think the conversation about the gift of tongues is a distraction from what Paul is actually trying to say. I, I, I don't think it's even really worth talking about. And... Whole denominations have been created over these gifts. And divisions have happened as a result of the gifts of the Spirit, which is exactly the opposite of what Paul is trying to say to the church in Corinth. And so it should not be a point of division among us. In fact, when when Paul lists those gifts, anytime he does lists of gifts, tongues always comes last. I think it's the one he was least concerned with. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 14, he tells them, he says, I speak in tongues, and, and, and you guys can too, all right? But the point of 1 Corinthians 14 is not a defense of speaking in tongues. It's not to speak against it, or it's not to speak for it. The point of 1 Corinthians 14 is for Paul to contrast the gift of speaking in tongues, which is a foreign language, with speaking prophecy, which is speaking for God in a known tongue. And Paul said, "I would much rather speak 10 words that everybody understands than a thousand that they don't." Because what is the point that Paul is trying to get across here? You have a mission, and you need to use the gifts that are most effective at that mission. And so when you go into your services and you're all speaking in heavenly languages on top of each other, you're not doing any good. People are coming in and they think you're crazy. So put some order to this thing and remember the purpose for which you were given the Spirit, which is to bring glory to Jesus and to serve the common good within the context of your church body. And that's where our focus needs to be. I was even this week, I love to, to research and study. And I spent a lot of times researching the gift of tongues. You know, what, what is it? You know, I don't have a lot of experience with it personally. And so, um, but I have good friends that do. And so I'm, you know, I'm trying to work through all that. And, and I feel like I was getting bogged down in that. I was kind of going into that the wormhole, you know, the black hole. And I feel like in the middle of it, the spirit just, just spoke to me as clearly as he does and said, stop it. Stop being so concerned with what the gifts are. I'm more concerned with whether you use the ones I give you and how you use the ones I give you. I can do anything I want to. And it was like, at that moment, I was like, oh my goodness. I need to stop putting anything past God. And I need to stop putting spiritual gifts in a box of the the names that we found in Scripture. Because Paul gives lots of examples of what the spiritual gifts might be, but that's exactly what it is. He's not intended to give an all-encompassing list of these are the spiritual gifts. And you have these spiritual gifts or you have no spiritual gifts. He's doing the same thing we would do. We would just start listing off things that it could be. That's what he's doing. And in other places like Romans chapter 12, he gives even more, I guess, less phenomenal lists and more mundane lists. Like he says, teaching is a spiritual gift. He says, leadership is a spiritual gift. He said, acts of mercy are a spiritual gift. And you can see him, he's just rolling them off the tongue, you know, that anything that the spirit leads you and empowers you to do to achieve the mission is a gift from God. And so what we have to do is we have to look at our life and we have to say, what does he want me to accomplish? And how is he empowering me to do that? And he can do anything he wants to. He can, do, he can and will do anything he wants to, but it will only be what you need to have. And so don't put it in a box. And I want you to start thinking, if you haven't already, about what God has gifted you to do. It might be something like compassion. He's given you a compassionate heart. You might look at other people and you're like, why are they not compassionate? Well, maybe they haven't received the same level of giftedness that you have. Compassion and love for people. And maybe it's hospitality. You just love having people into your house and you just enjoy your house being full of people. I promise you, not everybody has that gift. I don't have that gift. My wife has that gift. I have to adjust, (laughs) you know. Every now and then, she gives me a night at home, just as a little bit of relief, you know? But I want her to use that gift, you know? It might be that. It might be generosity, that God just gives you a generous heart, and to share, whether it's your finances or the material goods you have, or whatever it may be, just gives you, puts generosity in you to accomplish the goal that he has. It might be the ability, it might, it could be miraculously the ability to speak in a foreign language, to witness to somebody who speaks a different language than you do. He could do that. Are you open to him doing that if he did? He could he could give you the motivation and just the right word to say to the person who sits at the desk next to you at work to bring glory to God or for the common good. It could be that in a conversation he puts one word in that con- one particular conglomeration of letters for you to say. You wouldn't normally say it this way. You wouldn't normally use this word, but you use this word, and somehow that word connects with the person you're talking about in a way that none of the other words you said did. He can do that. That is a gift from the spirit so that you can accomplish the mission that he's given to you and we like if you go through growth track here at Carolina Family Church we do a gifts analysis that helps you start to hone that in and that's, those are nice things to have but honestly i don't think you really need it i think you already know what what do i feel like i'm bringing the most glory to jesus when i'm doing this thing What is it that makes me feel like I'm being of the most, the highest use to the common good? Where do I feel like I'm really in the sweet spot within the church, within the body, where I'm really clicking and doing what I'm supposed to do? That's where he's already gifting you. The desk is already in the room. You just have to sit down and start drawing. I think you already know what it is. It's just a matter of having the boldness and the confidence to say, I want to use it, and I want to use it on the foundation of love. Peter agreed with Paul in 1 Peter chapter 4. I'm just going to summarize this. I'm just going to read the scripture, and then I want to pray. He summarizes so well, 1 Peter 4, 8 through 11. He said, above all, keep on loving one another, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we come to you and we just recognize your glory and your goodness. We recognize the gift that you gave us of your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross, paying for our sin, so that the sin that comes between you and us could be removed. And I pray, God, that there would be some here today that would receive that message for the first time and put their faith in you, Jesus. I pray that there would be many here today who who would embody that message and with boldness go to work and go to school and go to their family and go to the community and that they would express your glory, Jesus, and that through their testimony, many would come to faith in your son, Jesus Christ. Belief in his death for our sins, his resurrection in power, And that we, in the power of the Spirit that comes as a result of that faith, in the power of the Spirit, would understand what you have prepared for us to do. What our mission is, and not just our individual mission, but how our individual mission comes together to form the church to become the body, that we would understand what our spot is, what our role is, what our function is, so that as we fill that function, the body performs as it should, that you receive glory and that common good is sought. And I ask God that you would make that clear to every single person here and that as you make that clear, that you would accompany that with the confidence and the boldness to say, I know what I need to do, and I'm going to do it. And I'm not going to do it for my own glory. I'm not going to do it for personal accolades. I'm not going to do it so that I'll benefit. I'm going to do it so people will know about Christ and so that I can serve other people. Put the right heart, the right motivation, the right kind of love behind it. Because that's what lasts. I ask that you do that in all of us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.